Radio MD. RadioMD.com. Hear it from the doctor with expert guests from the American Academy of Pediatrics. It's Healthy Children. Now, our favorite mom, Melanie Cole, MS. Welcome to Healthy Children, where all of our expert guests are provided by the American Academy of Pediatrics. I'm Melanie Cole, and today we're really talking about eating disorders and summer bodies, upcoming summer, and our kids. Joining me is Dr. Nicole Sifra. She's an adolescent medicine fellow at the University of Rochester, and she currently serves on the Medical Care Standards Committee of the Academy for Eating Disorders. Dr. Sifra, it's a pleasure to have you with us today. So let's talk about eating disorders. What is considered an eating disorder? Are there different types? What does the term disordered eating really mean? So there are several different types of eating disorders. The most commonly known are anorexia nervosa and bulimia nervosa. There's also a new diagnosis in the last iteration of the DSM, which is the Diagnostic Guidelines, which is Avoidant Restrictive Food Intake Disorder, which has a lot of um, malnutrition concerns, but not as much body image concerns. And in terms of your question about disordered eating, I think that a lot of clinicians and therapists that treat eating disorders think of disordered eating as sometimes a precursor or something that people can have that can predispose them to an eating disorder, but doesn't yet meet diagnostic criteria for one of the disorders I mentioned. Well, thank you for clarifying that. And it certainly is a prevalent situation, right? How common is it? And tell us about the difference in commonality between our adolescent girls and our adolescent boys. Do you see more girls come down with this? We seem to have... I don't know, Dr. Sifra. As women, we seem to have more of a self-image body, you know, dysmorphia, maybe not the clinical definition, but we look at ourselves with not such kind eyes at certain ages. So is this more common in males or females? So it is more common in females. And the literature currently says that about about 10% of individuals with eating disorders are males. I think that most people in the field that are really commonly treating patients with these diseases know that that's an underestimate. I think that we're not as good at detecting eating disorders in male patients. And sometimes there's an extra layer of stigma for males that are suffering from what seem to be viewed in our society as a female disease. Well, I agree with you there. So let's talk about some of the signs and symptoms. As a parent of a 19-year-old daughter, these are things I was always on the watch for because it is so prevalent. And, you know, as I said, we can be so mean to ourselves. Tell us a little bit about what is a parent to look for. What are we looking for in our girls and our boys to kind of signal a red flag that says maybe we need to call our pediatrician with some of these concerns? So I'll start by saying that eating disorders are really tricky to detect, and by nature, they want to hide. They want to isolate the individual that's suffering. And so a lot of times, it's really difficult to pick up on these signs, and families sometimes have a lot of guilt about that, but it's really a part of the disease um, and can make it really difficult. Things that would prompt me to encourage someone to talk to their pediatrician are any deviation in growth trajectory, any new 
dietary habits such as getting, you know, cutting out different food groups or cutting out foods that someone used to like, changes in exercise patterns, or just kind of thinking and discussing food or nutrition in a different way. So if parents notice some of these things, when is it that we step in? Because a lot of parents, some of these are, are, are really not very bright signs, as you say. It's pretty hard to notice. So when do we pick it up and say, okay, you know, let's talk about this and why have you done this or what are you looking to do or why did you decide you don't like to eat this anymore? Do we do that? What do we do? Do we call our pediatricians? Tell us when, when that happens and what do we do about it? So I think if a parent has any concern, I never fault them for calling their pediatrician or even calling me as a subspecialist. There are a lot of times when people come to my office with, you know, noticing different eating patterns or eating concerns, and their child doesn't end up having an eating disorder. They end up having, you know, something else maybe going on. But really, the parents are the experts in their children. And so we really empower them to reach out to their pediatrician even if they're not sure, even if they notice some small thing and, you know, they want to make sure that their child is growing and developing like they should. Um, and, you know, I am always happy to see patients and when they don't have an eating disorder, then, you know, I feel like I've done my job um, putting parents' minds at ease. Well, I think also one of the scary things, you know, not to mention the parents that are of a certain age that remember Karen Carpenter and how that, you know, how she became the face of this way back when. You're probably even too young to remember this. But what we do concern ourselves with is the link between suicide, mental illness, and eating disorders. So, can you tell parents a little bit about that link and, and maybe even give us some hope? for the treatment options that can help parents that are really, really worried? Yeah, absolutely. So truly, we really take detection of eating disorders seriously because of what you just said. They are illnesses with a very high mortality, um, one of the most um, highest mortalities of any mental illness, which includes both suicide as well as medical complications of having an eating disorder. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of what I like to do as an expert in this field is educating primary care doctors and empowering parents to be a part of their child's treatment. And we now know that family-based treatment is the gold standard of care for eating disorders. It used to be in the past where families were kind of pushed aside and kind of labeled as part of the problem. We know that that's not the case, and they're absolutely part of the solution and help helping their children get better. Well, that certainly is true, and it's a great point. So tell us a little bit about available treatments. Is it cognitive behavioral therapy, inpatient, outpatient? What are we doing for our children that are suffering from eating disorders? So there are different levels of care, the highest level of care being medical hospitalization for acute medical complications of having an eating disorder. And that's part of my practice where I currently am. We treat adolescents and adults that need to be admitted to the medical hospital for um, electrolyte abnormalities or vital sign abnormalities or things of that nature. 
Most patients, however, are able to get treatment outside of the inpatient medical hospitalization. And there are a few different types of care that can be utilized. Sometimes patients will go to uh, what we call a partial hospitalization, which is not a hospital, but is a day treatment program, which provides a lot of support and education for patients and families. Some patients are treated outpatient, so they'll see me in the clinic, or they'll see another one of my colleagues who's a medical provider, as well as a registered dietitian and a psychotherapist that kind of helps them move forward in the recovery process. So there are a lot of different options, and having someone that's a skilled provider in the field can help guide families through what's the most appropriate level of care for their child. This is good information, but I think some of the really important information that we can talk about here today is for you to give parents some healthy ways to talk about weight with their children as we all are, you know, I mean, we we look at ourselves in the mirror, the negative self-talk. And as a mother, I'm also an exercise physiologist. So I learned early on that when I was in the bathroom looking at myself, that I didn't make all these negative comments, especially in front of my daughter. You know, I could make them in my head. Oh my God, look at, look at my thighs are so big. You know, stuff like that. But We don't want to talk like that in front of our children or even to say to them, should you be eating that? Or, you know, you used to be a size two. So I'd like for you to speak to parents and give us the wording to use so that they know that it's more than about weight loss when they're worried about food or having body image issues, but that it's about using words like strength, healthy eating for strong bones and, you know, wording. So I think that's the absolute right idea in terms of modeling that positive messaging about our bodies, even if it's something, there's something that we don't like about our bodies, um, kind of modeling that positive regard. And we know that dieting in and of itself is a risk factor to developing an eating disorder. So really being careful about not labeling foods as good foods or bad foods, not labeling exercise as something that we do to burn calories or lose weight. Just kind of thinking of exercise and physical activity as good for our bodies in its own right, outside of ability to expend energy. So I think that kind of having those more neutral and positive terms for foods, our bodies, our activities can really help kind of help our teens have a mindset of of health and of positive body image. So along those lines then, with spring coming up, and we've all been, you know, for the last couple of years, really, some of us have been pretty cloistered, and our kids have gone through a lot of different emotions and feelings. And what do you want the kids to know if parents are playing this podcast, Dr. Sifra, for their kids, and they're, and they're saying, you know, I want you to have this healthy body image, your body's beautiful, and wonderful. And so all of those images that come up for these kids when beach time comes and pool parties and shorts and tank tops and all that stuff, what do you want our kids to know about just being who they are? Mm -hmm. So I think that's something that we definitely should talk about is that size and, and health is diverse. 
People that are thin are not necessarily healthy. People that are not thin are not necessarily unhealthy. And so I would encourage teens, if they have concerns about how they're growing or concerns about their bodies, to talk to their doctor about that. And I'll often tell patients, and we um, we don't tell patients their weights in our clinic, and we kind of have the philosophy that, you know, we'll, we'll tell you if there's something that you need to know, but you don't have to bear the burden of that number or kind of what your mind does with that number by yourself. Cause sometimes that can be unnecessarily stressful and really in the grand scheme of things, isn't important to, um, to your health or how you feel about yourself. I also think that it's really important to recognize that while we may think of the caring carpenters and people that were really thin and had eating disorders that, People can have different sizes and have severe malnutrition and be at risk for medical complications for their eating disorders. And so that's one of the reasons why we really focus on thoughts and behaviors around food and um, you know, trying to check our own bias about people with eating disorders only having a certain body type. It's true. It definitely is. This is really great information. And parents really share this show with your friends and family because it's so important that we recognize some of these signs and symptoms and we learn the language to use to help our children have that healthy body image. Dr. Sifra, wrap it up for us with your best advice for parents when it's surrounding eating disorder, awareness, signs to look out for, anything that you think is important to share. So I think the biggest thing that I would share is that you are the expert in your child. And if you have concerns, don't hesitate to reach out for help for someone. And also along those lines, keep an open line of communication with your child and you know, feel free to have conversations with them about body image, um, foods, different things. And, um, and also if you are a family that's faced with um, a child that has an eating disorder and your your family faces that illness, don't feel any guilt or shame about that. Um, there's a lot of information about there that's scary and very stigmatizing to parents, but you are absolutely your best advocate for your child and you are their best asset. Thank you so much, doctor, for joining us today. What great information. And you can share this show. You can listen where all podcasts are played at Google Podcast, Stitcher, TuneIn, iTunes, everywhere that podcasts are played. But we want you to listen at RadioMD.com. So thank you so much for joining us today. I'm Melanie Cole for the American Academy of Pediatrics and Radio MD. Stay well.